Welcome to the Cyber Guy Podcast, your source for engaging cyber education, cyber discussions, and a look at current cyber news and trends with retired FBI Special Agent Darren Mott. Good afternoon, morning, or evening, friends. Welcome to the Cyber Guy Podcast. I am retired FBI Supervisory Special Agent Darren Mott. And in this episode, I'm going to play some more interviews from the National Cyber Summit that was held here in Huntsville in September. Um, the one today is going to be a single a single interview with Daniel Clemens. Dan is the founder of a couple different companies. One is Packet Ninjas, their pen testing organization. We're actually going to have an episode coming up with a couple guys from Packet Ninjas talking about what they do and some interesting stories they have. But he's also the founder of a tool called Shadow Dragon, or a company called Shadow Dragon, with a tool that does a lot of uh, open source intelligence gathering on the dark web. Very smart guy, probably one of the smarter guys I've ever met. Um, and, and some interesting, interesting takes on certain things within cybersecurity that I, I hope you'll find interesting. I surely did. I, I know I did. And I'm hoping to have him on another episode uh, in the next couple months to talk a little longer about some other things. We meant to do that last year and I kind of dropped the ball on that. So I'm hoping to make that up to him as the year goes forward. But we are in the middle of, or at least the, the beginning of Cybersecurity Awareness Month 2022. And as I have done for the last couple of years on my LinkedIn page, uh, linkedin.com slash in slash Darren Mott, all one word. I am posting different articles uh, of note to increase awareness of cybersecurity issues, be it staffing issues, be it compliance issues. I am highlighting successful cyber cases on weekends, which I'll talk about towards the end of the episode here. But um, so this week, there, there's two articles I just kind of wanted to touch on that I posted this week. Uh, and if you, you want to see more on these, you can certainly go to my LinkedIn profile and do that. But one is from ZDNet. ZDNet is a great uh, source of cyber security related information. But this is from uh, October 6th, uh, written by Jada Jones. She's an associate editor at ZDNet. And the title is Cybersecurity Leaders Are Having a Hard Time Keeping Companies Secure and There is No Easy Solution. And I think that is absolutely true. Uh, and so from the, from the article, I'm going to read a little bit from it. As more businesses experience a digital transformation and continue to store consumer information in the cloud, cybersecurity risks are an increasing concern for web surfers, companies, and online buyers. According to Foundry's 2022 Security Priority Study, which surveyed nearly 900 security leaders around the world, 90% think their organization is not doing enough to address cybersecurity risks. Now, this is no bueno if you are are uh, that. So that certainly should be a concern for you, if you will. Uh, and so a couple things that I noted um, on my LinkedIn profile regarding this particular uh, posting was that, um, you know, th there are two key points that the article makes. One, security leaders uh, are having difficulty convincing all or parts of their organization of the severity of cybersecurity risks and are struggling to keep and find the right security staff to keep their organization secure. And two, security leaders report that their organization is failing to invest enough into technology, people, or budget to appropriately address security risks. And that security is often an afterthought during application development. Cybersecurity training also lacking across all levels of staff the report found. And that's an interesting one because I think anybody listening who is working anywhere probably has more than 
or at least thinks they have more than enough training to worry about from a cybersecurity perspective. But I would argue that you really do not. Chances are because, largely because your organization probably doesn't do it the right way. Um, and they kind of do it once a year, once a quarter, and figure that's enough. And usually it is not. Uh, you have to, you know, find plenty of resources that you can use to educate yourself on the cyber threats targeting you. So you can, as I like to say, assess your risk, uh, or at least understand the threats targeting you, assess your risk, and proceed wisely. So, you know, that's a, that's a key issue um, within companies is trying to, you know, get other people in the organization to understand cybersecurity is important. The other article that kind of goes along with that is from the Phoenix Business Journal. Um, and it is, uh, the writer is Zach Fuller. This is from October 3rd. The title of the article is Finding the Right Cybersecurity Approach for Your Small Business. And this kind of goes in line with how cybersecurity leaders are dealing with these um, particular issues. Uh, and so let's take a look at a couple of the things here. Um, there are numerous challenges that small businesses face when tackling cybersecurity issues. And these include lack of support, is technology enough, and compliance requirements. And then how do you formalize your cybersecurity? You have to figure out how to do a cybersecurity program. And there's a lot of different ways to do it. You can do it yourself, which is not the best idea. You can hire internal cybersecurity staff, which is great if you can find them and get them to stay once you've hired them and you don't burn them out. Have a managed service provider, which doesn't eliminate your risk. It puts it on a third party and you hope that they are good enough for that. Or maybe you hire a virtual chief information security officer. This can help you design some strategy and some direction and deal with compliance and big picture items. However, many of these professionals function in a leadership capacity. So most are less technically oriented and only focus on high-level strategy and compliance steps. Typically, they do not execute daily tasks necessary to be successful. So additional resources are usually required to implement the controls they come up with. And, I, you know, it's understandable that most companies can't afford the average going rate for a CISO, a chief information security offer, is like $250,000, $275,000 a year. So small, and small companies, small businesses can't afford that kind of thing. So one thing I posted on LinkedIn about this is, is, you know, it's, and the reason I post this is because it's important. I think it's important and it's something that I talk about a lot. Um, and so, you know, one of the points in the article was much of the cybersecurity industry has been encouraging small businesses to address the issue of cybersecurity by purchasing tools and technologies designed to address specific threats. However, business leaders are often disappointed by the results, largely because they don't have the personnel to implement the technology. Um, or it's just insufficient for what they're trying to do. And, and so what I posted here, I'm going to kind of read this as my own language now, that I think the big problem is that small businesses work on margins that make investments in cybersecurity difficult, be it the use of MSPs, the hiring of the right personnel, or even just finding the right awareness training. A side issue is the belief that they don't have anything a cyber actor would want, and they aren't targets. This is a fallacy. I say it all the time. You've heard me say it. You're probably sick of me saying it so many times, but every business, regardless of size, has something bad actors want, be it intellectual property, customer data, or a network infra infrastructure that they can use for obfuscation, and they can launch attacks against other entities. If you're a small business owner, then there are low-cost resources available to start down the road to better hygiene. You just need to look or ask experts. There's plenty of people on LinkedIn that'll do that. I'm one of them. The unfortunate thing I found, I'm trying to figure this out, um, is that most executives won't even take or value free advice 
but I'll keep scheming from the the rooftops that you need to find people to help you with that. And I'll keep trying to give away free information. I actually uh, reached out to um, a guy named Bob Berg. He's an author. He wrote a book called The Go-Giver. If you have not read it, I highly recommend it. Um, about, you know, what do you do when you try to be a go-giver, but people are no takers? And Bob, being a go-giver, you know, he, he reached my, he took my problem and took it to other experts um, who have suggestions. So I'm going to reach out to them and have conversations with them to see what am I doing wrong? How can I help, help businesses, individuals, you know, protect themselves so they do not have to become victims and contact law enforcement because their money's been lost. Someone hacked into their network. They've got ransomware, you know pick a problem. So those are two articles I just wanted to kind of highlight this week, but I want to get right into now the interview with Dan Clements. Again, this is from the National Cyber Summit 2022, which was held here in Huntsville a couple weeks ago. I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I enjoyed doing it. Well, I want to welcome back to the the first two-time attender of the Cyber Guy podcast at the National Cyber Summit, Daniel Clemens from Shadow Dragon. Daniel, thanks for coming back. Thanks. This like, is great. I love, I love that you have a podcast thing right here we can yeah. just run into each other yep get on the air especially since yeah, last year i said cool. hey we need to have a longer conversation then i dropped the ball and never got back with you so sorry about that so that, that's okay i thought i dropped the ball <laughs> no it was so, all it was all on yeah. all, all me so so let's talk about osint open source intelligence what's what are we talking about here where, where are we at with all that stuff and what's how, how much of our information is on the dark web and blah blah, blah. well i i think there's more information that's just publicly available out on the internet than mm -hmm. there is on the dark web. You know, oh, the dark web sounds scarier, yep. right? It gets mom's attention. It gets uh, reporters talking about it. But I think publicly, publicly accessible information slash open source intelligence, that information is out there only because of human nature. Human right. nature is wanting to interact with a stimulant. That stimulant is the internet and the platform of the day. And they, you know, they, people in general are making the assumption that, you know, who's going to put together the puzzle pieces across 200 different platforms or 150 platforms or, you know, everything out there. And, and that's kind of where I think um, there's a lot more information out there in, in the open source intelligence world and publicly accessible information than there is on the dark web. Um, there's tons of information getting leaked into the dark web or, you know, into forums, right? for for compromise but um that's, that's and our take so on it, you know our bad guys finding that they can now they don't even have to go to the dark web they don't have to go through all those hoops and and things to get to and they can just go to the pia that pia that's out there well i think that that yeah that's part of it you know but also like they're they're doing the blended attacks of you know just what can i get um, you know, hacking is like, you know, water and its relationship with gravity. It's going to go to the lowest point. Yeah. So, you know, look at look at the recent Uber hack or whatever. You know, that was kind of lowbrow stuff. But, you know, they com combined information from a few different places, did some mm -hmm. social engineering and, and got in. Um, that wasn't from dark web stuff and it wasn't from... right all open source some, intelligence right. it was it was some recon and that's what we used to call osint right mm -hmm. it was all recon yeah um so. so it wasn't a magical 
Yeah. Have we? When? When? What was the last biggest breach that didn't involve social engineering? That was like a full-on. There was a vulnerability on a SQL database that someone got into and really caused problems. I yeah. Bet. So let's roll back to the exchange ones that got that got disclosed by Velocity last year. Right. You know, like the I think Microsoft was sitting on that zero-day uh, knowledge for far too long. Um, well, I, I think 2021, there was there there were 40%, and, and I may be wrong on the stats here, but I, um, I remember that some of the things I read, 40% of all the zero-day uh, use in the last, you know, two decades showed up in 2021, mm-hmm. right? So we're seeing bad actors utilizing the revenue that they've, they've generated from, you know, their criminal enterprises and uh, reinvesting it really into zero-day exploitation and zero-day research. I think that 2021, they had a lot more time on their hand. And then there's also a concerted effort by a few groups that we're watching that, you know, they're talking about like, this is R&D. This is a budget. Sure. Yes. Right. And so um, as I'm looking at like the combination of very a few different things in, in the universe, you know, you've, you've got bad energy policy, you've got bad, bad economic policy, you've got the, the, you know, we're looking down the barrel of like some pretty interesting financial times in the next 12 to 24 months. And where is that going to put us? Like that's going to rationalize more criminal activity for survivability across more geographical zones. You know, we, we're probably going to see more more uh, criminal activity within the U.S. than, than yeah. we have in the last 20 years. You know, um, the same thing with Europe, you know, um, probably Europe sooner than the U.S. But where is that coming from? I would I would argue that that's that's the unintended consequences of insurance companies paying out ransomwares for the last few years, creating this this unintended consequence right. on the market. So. You've already seen Lloyd's already Lloyd's Lloyd's of London yeah, already start dropping the cyber insurance policy yep. stuff, and and they're seeing the the headwinds of that unintended consequences of cyber security insurance when utilized by negligent businesses that don't want to think about things and they want to put their head in the sand, you know. So, what's your take on the the? OFAC designation for ransomware entities. I think it's great. Really? See, I, I argue that great. I don't think it works because the the list I saw were Bitcoin addresses, which doesn't make it hard for, I'll just make a new Bitcoin address and there you go. So, so I'm, I'm no longer well, on the Well, I mean, list. You're, you're starting the narrative, though, of, of a larger um, investigation. You're, 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 you're pushing things that are going to be crossing international lines. You're, you're making a bigger political statement on something so you can have the levers you know to that's fair that's exploit, fair yeah. exploit and investigate and that's kind of I think that's where that's going on it but you know like even on the colonial pipeline stuff you know call it what you want you know they got a few guys arrested they got a few good photo ops you know there was a few people that were involved in that that disbanded but were still operating right and they still see some assets out of that right mm-hmm. yeah so sure. You're going to see more of that. Yeah, and I think that, you know? that I think that part's all good. I just think it's, I think there's certain methodologies that are overplayed for their, how significant they'll be. I right. Think that's- uh, I, but I, but the way I see this, this is this is where, all the things that we've been, used to for the last twenty right. years. This is where policymakers are starting to say, uh, you know, 
what tools do we have? Oh, we've got OFAC. Oh, we've got right. sanctions. Oh, we've, you know, um, you know, you had that. The OFAC stuff is under the Biden administration and you had the Trump administration push stuff on, on China on, in, in the, in the tax deals and, yeah, the and some of the other stuff, you know, tariffs so, and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The tariffs. So, um, you, you have a consistent drumbeat of a policy change in the U S government leading the way against cyber criminal um, and state-sponsored actors, enabling um, more of a level playing field, in my opinion. Do you, you think know? that the do you think that the the executive order just came out that's mandating additional cybersecurity methods in the federal government will feed its way down to the private sector, say, okay, we probably need to do that as well? Do you think there'll be a, that, it will have that kind of... No, I don't like, think so at all. I think the only way to, to change the private sector is to incentivize it through tax incentives. Hmm, that's a good so, point, yeah. so maybe um, let's say that we incentivized uh, tax credits for two-factor authentication and network segmentation. In you know that that solves an eighty-twenty rule of most of all the ransomware stuff mm-hmm. without having to incur additional you know federal government resources um, while letting the industry solve the problem themselves and giving them a small tax credit for however many users they have, right? right? Like, I think incentivizing versus hitting people over the stick with fines and that kind of thing, it's going to work better in this type of scenario and give us better return, you know? So why aren't we getting to that point? Do I don't think, right, I, I think people? I'm pretty, lo- uh, I'm pretty uh, alone in the thinking. Um, I haven't heard it from anybody else yet, but... Hey, you know, should be singing you, that oh, from the rooftop. Yeah, yeah. Hey, push that on your podcast. You you pulled me out of my cave. We're here, right? <laughs> right, yeah. Um, you got you. you, the, you see, see, I, I guess I, I should do. I need to do a cyber policy episode. I can't just stay alive from politics because it just. I, I'll never. I won't say anything politically correct that'll just irritate people. And but I'm, I'm not. I, I try to be nonpartisan. As, but I think there are um, certainly policies, there are suggestions like that that need to have that discussion with more people that say, okay, I think here's why I think that. Because you see that occasionally on LinkedIn, but a lot of people don't want to talk about the solutions that may be hard to implement. Well, they, they may not be looking at it from the perspective that I'm looking at it from right. either. You know, um, that that just may be it. And, and then maybe I just don't have a, a great enough voice or a reach and, <laughs> and that's fine. You're right. You know, yeah, sure. Uh, but I think like we can have policy discussions without it being political, political, right? right? Sure. Like yep. so, um, you know, like I think that's just the reality of it. You know, I think there's some other people in the industry right now uh, that have been really pushing on and pursuing the 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 cyber policy side of things, understanding it better. Yeah. Uh, like Dave Itell from you know he had Immunity Sec years ago. He's been sending he's been spending a lot of time on you know understanding the policy wonks and their their uh, language and and how they interpret the world through their lens versus the dedicated exploit dev guy right sure yeah yeah um so i think getting him on your show that would get some of the policy stuff out there you know one of the things that i mean the biden administration when they did their executive order last year one of the things in there that i liked was the cybersecurity review board that was supposed to go in and like the NTSB and look at main events and say, here's what happened. But they haven't done it. 
So what's the, why say it if you're never going to do it? That's, that's, that's my biggest irritation. Is that's, and I think from a, from a community standpoint, there's not enough of that intelligence sharing, like Colonial Pipeline. All right, do we really know the ins and outs of how that all happened? Do we have a, a good look at here's how they got in, where they got in, what they did when they got there? Or maybe I've missed it. Yeah, I but, think that there was some stuff that was, was shared. Um, I, I want to say there there was there was stuff. I mean, I had an Excel spreadsheet of all the TTPs. Okay. So from from what I could ascertain from the TTPs, and and I could be wrong. This is just me reading. You know, some of the the stuff in there. There was a shared password. Sure. RDP open. You know, RDP or VPN with username password open in the internet. Flat network. Um, I looked at the C two on that that they were that those guys were using that c2 was known in the community i mean there was emerging threats rules on that command and control for six months yeah so to me that looked like well they also don't have any you know monitoring and filtering on egress traffic they don't have a sock they don't have an escalation and then they had a flat network and you know this is a great great picture of how multiple problems happening at you know, all at one time cause a new super bad event, right? Mm -hmm. So like you had COVID. Yes. You had, you know, the, you know, the execs at that, that company were like, oh, everybody's got to work remote, but they weren't prepared for working remote. Right. Right. So then they open up something on the internet. We'll just do this. You know, assumptions are the mother of all mess ups. Yep. And then, you know, you have a bad, you know, badly configured AD, flat network, no ingress, egress, you know, like Mm -hmm. just continues and then they're in a super big pickle and it's an international incident because you know it was so stupid right, right. Like yeah it sure. just retarded it impacted half the country yeah for a week or two it was still bad though don't get me wrong like, right right no i think it was super bad but those those are the those are the insights that i had when i looked at some of the ttps and you know i could be totally wrong i was not on that incident response right um so that's but, what I, that's what I would I would like to see. I mean, I know they talk about private public se sector sharing of information, but who's maintaining it? Who's going to manage it? Who's going to share it? And if we can get to that point where that works, that'd be great. But I just I don't think it works at all, really. I mean, in the end, I don't think it works that well because really, kind of when people say like we need a private public partnership, right? It's kind of BS to me because it's like so what you're saying is my tax dollars that I gave you for this program that you made, you're telling me that it's in such an utter despairing failure that you now need my help for free and you don't want to incentivize me for that as a, you know, as a private citizen and a, and a business owner. Why don't you take that private public partnership and give me tax credits. We're back to tax credits. Yes, exactly. Incentivize me, but then, you know, you have this this big separation between, you know, who's a state state-sponsored state actor and who's yeah. not, right? Right, right? So and and I think a lot of people are going to get very like you have different programs that that are alluring to people who think that um this is cool, right? Like the InfraGuard program, like I was involved in the InfraGuard program. Mm -hmm. I, I, I stood up all the, the mailing lists for everything nationwide, ran it out of my house on a Spark 10 box <laughs> until they realized, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Some guy's running this out of his freaking apartment. 
yeah on like you know non-gov emails and it's and it's just like a dot org or whatever and i was like yeah because it, it works right oh no we got to get we got to get lsu to to maintain this list server and you know get all this funding and then it there was no information and, sharing and anymore, blend it with right? wasn't it blended with leo yeah and, and then it was blended with leo and all this other information i was like no man people just want to share pcap data ids signatures right. some vulnerability data and now you're making this situation where it's just stupid right like no you're great um yep. so i mean i think a lot of people get pulled into that thinking it's something more than it is and and i think you know groups like infraguard they've had all these goals for the last 20 years and they've never accomplished one of them show me one of them <laughs> that they've accomplished, right? Like, yep. And and it's not that I wasn't involved with it, but you know, they have meetings great, every month. They have meetings every month. Yeah, they have meetings. I know. And everybody yes. has the hero status, right? Like, oh yeah, it's it's great ransomware and all these idiots. And it's like, well, public part part pu public private partnership stuff. I don't really think it really works unless you, there's incentivization right. and going and it, back and forth. And I'm going to say, you know, full disclosure, I I, I manage the Union for Guard program director in Cleveland. So, you know, 20 years in the FBI, I had to, I had to swing the InfraGuard banner, you should all join InfraGuard. And, you know, there's, it's, it's like anything else. There's, every once in a while, you may get some good information out of it. But I, I will agree that recently, what's the good information coming from it? Other than, on the website now, you can get like FBI liaison reports. Okay. And then some of them, if you're not, if you're, if you can't share it outside of InfraGuard. So, and some you can, but again, I, I digress. But, but I'm going to steal but your. It, I'm, gonna, I'm stealing your tax incentive idea because every time I see a public partnership request or, or suggestion on on LinkedIn, I'm going to go right to tax incentive. I'm going to use your thing. Why should I, as a taxpayer, pay for this without getting anything back? So exactly. I'm going exactly. I'm I'm to steal it. I'm, I'll, I'll credit you, but I'm going to yeah, say yeah. I'm stealing this from Dan Clemens. But just tag me. if we can get if we can get a Republican or a Democrat to put it into a small bill that's like you know a hundred words long. <laughs> Uh, without all these other, you know, pork pork add-ons, yeah. that'd be awesome. And I think the know? problem, you know, the, the whole big problem with public-private partnerships is who manages the data, and it's always going to be the public person because the um, because the public side is going to have, oh, but we have secure information that we have to make sure we redact or or do whatever we need to so that, you know, it's protected. So. What are you sharing? But, but you what, expect, but you expect the private sector to give them all all their right. Yeah, and 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 then I think there's the misnomer that some you know a lot of the information is you know more secret and more you know because there's secrecy around it it causes the Streisand effect and oh we don't you know people want to know it but we shouldn't share it and it's just like mystical yeah. unicorn stuff that doesn't have any basis in reality like people should share more information the more you know the luckier you absolutely get, right like yep. and and I mean this goes back to you know Full disclosure debates in in the late '90s and 2000s, and you know, mm -hmm. we're on the other side of that. Well, one of the issues right. we like in the bureau, I, when I was in at headquarters, I had to go and I'd approve IIRs. So if, if an office of mine was putting out an intelligence report from a from intru some intrusion event, I had to approve it. Whatever. Everyone, if there was an IP address associated with the event, the last two octets were always redacted. And my argument is, why are we redacting that? This is staying internal to the bureau or going to a government entity. Why do we have to redact the whole IP address? Wouldn't it be more valuable to have the whole IP address? Oh, no, that's not how we do it. Then why, then why are we doing it? Right. Because what are you getting from that? Oh, it's coming from China. 
Can we be more specific, maybe? Nope, can't, because got to protect the TTPs, or how we got the information. That's, that's ridiculous. I think, I think there's, a, there's an argument to be made for human source type stuff, you know, where it's super close hold yeah, to none the of best. Yeah, none of this and, was, yeah. You know, guess, like, yeah. Sure. So, I think, yeah, is there, is there a space for classification? Yes. Probably. But are we overly using it to, to justify things that yeah, no, maybe is not yeah. that big of a deal? Yep. You know? So what's the big threat for next? What do we got to worry about for next year? What's, what, so what's, what's the next big issue we have? Hmm. That's a good question, man. Um, How's quantum computing going to address all this? Dude, I don't think it's going to address anything. It's just going to, like, totally smash all the crypto, right? <laughs> right like, yeah, yeah. All crypto algorithms belong to whoever has the quantum. Um, <clears throat> no, I had I had discussions with the with Brian Snow. Uh, he used to be at the NSA. Uh, des- he was in charge of uh, crypto design. And um, this was years ago, probably six or seven years ago. His big thing was, like, look, man, the, the big threat on the horizon for all national security is going to be the quantum computing stuff. I don't have much information on it. I don't know what's real, what's not real, right. um, where the industry is on that, but that would that would definitely move the needle, right? But yeah. you have so, you have so many other regional conflicts and economic conflicts, uh, bad energy policy type things that are pulling the threads of everyday, you know, individuals and Americans. I think we're gonna ha- we're gonna be in the wild west again, and and you know add on some other new mystery weird mm-hmm. event. It's it's going to be boom or bust, man. What's your okay? One one last question. What's your take on TikTok, dude? That's China all the way. Yes, yeah, right. China all the way. So like, mm-hmm. I mean, so ByteDance owns that. Tencent owns that. Uh, the communist CCP owns that. I mean, I would say, what's your what's your stance on Reddit? Because <laughs> the same investors that own TikTok own Reddit. Interesting. So it's like, where is the Chinese influence there? I think TikTok. Uh, what they've done from a psyop influence type perspective in shortening shortening the attention span of Americans in general is is lowering the IQ collectively. Russia has a similar version of it now. Other social media platforms are starting to just try to to you know right reels is the same idea yeah. right yeah yeah so I think because my, my biggest issue is the facial recognition collection they have now. So what's our intelligence service going to do in 15 years when all of these TikTokers are now adults and say, I should probably get a real job. Maybe I can go in and be a CIA. Well, it can't be a CIA case officer because they know what you look like. So you can't go yeah, I mean, go. so like what we've done, we've looked at some of the object recognition slash facial recognition stuff. Like if, if you've got a picture of somebody's face and they're over the age of 12 or 13, yeah. it's all, all the there. way up to, you know, the, the day they die, mathematically, you've got a match. And I think China's got other capabilities in that in that realm where it's not just facial recognition. They're looking at you know how you sit in a chair, your gait of your walk, your you know like yeah, all you, sorts of how stuff. How you type, you know. But you know, like let's talk about China on the long run, man. Like I mean, everybody says that they're the the big adversary, but they they I think that the way that they're acting right now. Um, the last two years is they're showing how brittle and, and frail they are because of, right. how, you know, they've got this much older 
um, population. They've got a younger population that's got to uh, support it. They've changed their birthing policies drastically. They have fertility centers everywhere right now. So they're admitting like, look, this, this isn't going to work out for us. <laughs> they've, they've been in a famine for a while. Their economic, their, their, their economy has just been totally closed down for the last few years. Like, I don't think that they have it in them um, to really push the needle, needle too hard. And I'll be surprised if they do anything in Taiwan in the next five years, right? Like, I, I just think there's a lot of opportunity there for, for freedom. I hope, I hope things change there mm-hmm. because I just think they're, they're, they're moving in fear and there's opportunity there. You know, like if they're going to escalate things, I think they're going to escalate on Russia. You know, that Southeastern border. China is. Yeah. That that's would be a, interesting. That, that would be interesting to see. Yeah. yeah. That'd be interesting. Them in India. Yeah. So yeah. this is just armchair geopolitical so, perspective though. Do right? you have your like, own podcast? I do, but I haven't done it for a few years. We we haven't uh, resurrected it. We've been so busy you should, this year. You should, you should, so you should start your own podcast and say it's all going to hell. That should be the title of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, like we have season one of our podcast, but we haven't resurrected season two yet. And, and we did season one during COVID. Oh, okay. So if you do time. season two, can I come on? I'd oh, yeah. I'd come on and talk. That'd Definitely. Be awesome. All right. Definitely. I think we, we could cross cross do it. Oh, yeah. I'll record on my end, record on your end, we'll both pop and go yeah. from there. Get get the people that slice and dice and push it out there. That'd be cool. Yeah. All right, Daniel. Thanks so much. All right. Uh, hopefully we'll be we'll do this again next year, if not sooner. All right. All right thanks. thanks. Cool. So once again, I want to thank Dan Clemens for taking the time to stop by my booth again this year to talk about his take on certain cyber issues of the day. He's always a fascinating interview. And again, I hope to have him on coming up in the future. So like I said, one of the things I'm doing with Cybersecurity Awareness Month and for the next several episodes, you're going to hear a lot about Cybersecurity Awareness Month, is I've been on weekends highlighting two posts of successful cyber cases where they were actually bad things going on in the cyber world and some law enforcement entity, be it the FBI, somebody else, um, had a successful uh, result in what they did. And the two that I focused on this first week were Operation Innocent Images and Operation Dark Market. And I don't know, I'm sure if the if Dark Market was actually the name of the operation, um, it may not have been, but uh, Dark Market was an online um, dark website in the mid-2000s that traded in and sold... Uh, credit card related information. It was a big criminal site uh, and it ended up being run by an FBI agent who was working undercover. His name was Keith Malarski. He went by the code name Master Splinter. Uh, and he did that for a while and then they took it down, arrested people. It was a great case. Um, it was a group out of Pittsburgh, uh, a unit out there uh, called Surfview that did that work. Uh, so it wasn't just Keith by himself. He had other folks that were working it. So I feel bad that I didn't credit them all in the post. So I apologize if, if any of them are listening. I apologize for not listening, listing them also. But um, so that's a good case. You can go to Wired, just do uh, Wired.com and look for Dark Market and you'll see uh, the news article there on that. Or you can just go to my LinkedIn and you'll see it there. The other one, Innocent Images, is one is probably the the one case that started the FBI down the cyber world or cyber investigative road, I guess, if you will. Uh, And I was lucky enough to have the case agent for that case, at least the first case agent, be my first supervisor in the FBI, Doris Gardner in Charlotte in 2000. And in 92, 93 timeframe, she was working in Baltimore um, and kind of had, and there was a, a, child exploitation case that she identified some online stuff going on and realized that people were trading and, and, and 
images and, and trading with uh, children and stuff online. So she went and bought one of the first computers, undercover computers for the FBI, started this program um, that does undercover work to try and and uh, identify people that are engaged in the uh, online exploitation of children and ideally bring them uh, to, to justice. And that particular investigation has expanded out that it's a large nationwide uh, org, uh, ongoing operation that most field offices have some form of the innocent images platform going on in their offices and it continues today because, you know, that, that particular crime is not going away. It's not getting easier to solve and people are not stopping them doing it. So, you know, protecting kids is probably the, one of the best things the Bureau does from a cyber perspective. So uh, innocent images and dark market, the two cases highlighted for this week. With that, I will let you go about your fine day on this mid-October, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, wherever you are. I thank you for taking the time to download and listen to the Cyber Guy podcast. Feel free to subscribe on whatever platform you're using to download this. Tell your friends uh, to give a listen if they are so inclined. If you have thoughts, topics, or thoughts or uh, questions or or ideas for topics down the line, email me, Darren at thecyberguy.com, cyber spelled C-Y-B-U-R. Um, uh, if you have fan, friends or family members that aren't as keyed into the whole cyber world as maybe others of us are, have them listen to the Cyber Smart Podcast. It's kind of like Cyber 101, and it's a real quick listen uh, to that. So feel free to do that. I appreciate your time. Know that knowledge is protection. If you can understand the threats targeting you, you can assess your risk online. You can proceed wisely. Thanks so much for listening. Have a good week. 